Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. A few moments here, a few moments ago here in the blended service, uh, John Nugent talked to you about all the different missions that really we're about and will be coming up. And I mean, folks are going in and folks are going out. As you just heard, we just had folks return from South Louisiana. Yes, trying to convert some Tiger fans somewhere along the way. <laughs> South Louisiana folks, they have returned this week. There will be those, uh, our older children department, they'll be over in Dallas area as they are serving and as they are working. And of course, uh, the youth down in New Orleans. And then we'll have a group going to Canada. And it, I mean, we're here at the end of the summer almost. And God continues to use as he sends his people. And how blessed we are to know that we can accept the gospel for ourselves. We can experience freedom. But we can also let others know about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're about. That's what we should be about each and every day. And what is exciting as well is to know that we may not physically be there in certain places... But through our resources and through our giving, we can support the mission of God. We can know that our money, that our finances themselves can be on missions. I think as we think about giving, somehow we should center that upon the gospel itself, upon the good news, and recognize that we are extending the kingdom of God and extending the message of Jesus, that we are giving in effect, to his kingdom. I think we ought to teach that to the generations that are coming behind us, especially. Now, I know sometimes we can miscommunicate. I remember being back at Pine Grove Baptist Church in Picayune some years ago, and uh, we would, of course, a lot of our offering would come through the Sunday school. We would give through the Sunday school classes, and then, of course, you know, that would be counted in the overall offering. Every Sunday morning... Mr. Laverne Stewart, who is our Sunday school director and our church treasurer, he would walk in front of those Sunday school rooms, just kind of walking around to make sure everybody was getting in place and make sure all the teachers had what they needed. But oftentimes, the children would give their offering to him. I remember one young girl in particular that would always come up. She would see Mr. Laverne, and she would take out her offering, and she would hand it to him. That was wonderful. It was great. Until one morning when Mr. Laverne wasn't there. He wasn't walking the hall. He was out doing some other things. And the young girl was confused. She looked at her mama that day and she said, Why is Jesus not here? Her mother responded and said, What do you mean? Jesus is always at the church. He's here. He's with his people. No, 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 no. Jesus walks out here in my Sunday school class. And she said, who are you talking about? That man I give the money to every week. You said we give to Jesus. I give to him every week. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can miscommunicate. But hey, she had, the, she had the overall idea is that we're giving in order to extend the witness of Christ. We are giving in so many ways to him. And I think that Paul, as he is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, as he speaks about this church participating in a specific free will offering, when he speaks to him, he, he is speaking to the church about giving, 
giving in a gospel-centered way. That their giving would be undergirded by the gospel and that their giving would be united in the gospel. I want you to see this as the Apostle Paul writes to this church at Corinth. He says to them in verse 1 of chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as, the, as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am indeed passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." Paul writes to this church about participating in this specific free will offering. Now, if you read the New Testament, especially if you read Paul's writings, you will see those moments where the apostle will speak about participating in this overall offering. Even though it is not specifically noted here, the cause for this offering, if you read through the New Testament, you will see that there was a collection being made for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, for, the, for those who are going through extreme need, poverty, perhaps because of famine, other things that had happened in Jerusalem. They were in need. And the other churches were, they were coming together to somehow alleviate the need of their brothers and sisters. That's basically what happens in the New Testament. You'll see Paul talk to other churches about it about how they should participate in this giving. But as I'm reading through here, as I note that he is speaking specifically to Corinth, I have, I've understood now that he is placing this idea of the offering or the giving in the context of the gospel itself. You know, no scripture exists on its own. It's all placed in a certain context, right? Well, when you look at chapter 16, you realize it comes after chapter 15. You don't have to be from Mississippi to know that. You understand it follows a previous chapter. And when you look back to the previous chapter, chapter 15, you'll find the most extensive discussion of the resurrection in all of the New Testament. I mean, chapter 15 is the chapter of the resurrection. You think that's crazy. You would think it'd be in the gospel. But it is here in this letter that he speaks so much about the resurrection and the significance of it for the church's life. So right after he has this Easter celebration moment, what does he do? He turns to giving. Now, some of you would be so disappointed if you showed up on Easter Sunday, right? And the pastor preached this wonderful message about the resurrection and then all of a sudden he said, now you got to give to this offering. Some of you would probably chastise me afterwards because you would say we'd have people here, visitors here. You know, why would you do something like that? But listen to the way Paul 
sets the context of the gospel, of the resurrection, and then he turns to this specific offering. He does this because our giving is undergirded by the gospel itself. I want you to hear me today that everything we do should be rooted in the gospel. Everything we, should, we do should be undergirded by the good news of Jesus Christ. It should motivate us. It should move us to action. Everything that we do. Even in this passage. In verse 2 it says, on the first day of the week. Note that. Why are they meeting on the first day of the week? Because of the resurrection. Because of the gospel. Even they're coming together as a people. Even as they unite on the first day, it is because of the gospel. Even to this day. Why did we come here on this Sunday morning to join together? It is because of the gospel. It's because we know that Christ Jesus rose again. That he died, but he was resurrected. And we're coming to proclaim that. We're coming to worship that God who has demonstrated power. The power to save. The power to bring to life that which was dead. That's why we come today. When you come in your presence here, what you are proclaiming is you believe in the resurrection. When you walk in these doors on a Sunday, on the first day of the week, you are saying, I believe in Jesus, that he is the Lord and that he has been resurrected from the dead. In so many ways, that's what you are proclaiming. Because remember, they had worshipped on the Sabbath. The Jewish population had worshipped on the Sabbath day. But now the believer said, we must make a statement because of the gospel. We worship on the first day of the week. Let me say to you that when you and I give, we are also proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Everything that we do is rooted in the gospel. It's about Christ Jesus who has come, who has died for us, who has been raised from the dead, and who has given us life. And just as our presence proclaims that there is a God and there is a resurrection, so our giving proclaims that there is a God who has given to us. I believe, as I've stated before, that our God is the greatest giver that we could ever know. He is the most giving being in all of the universe. If you want to find the characteristic of giving, all you've got to do is look above and see the character of God. And that good news, that giving character, moves us in our lifestyle of giving as well. Later in 2 Corinthians, as Paul will come back to the same church and he will encourage them again in their giving, he will remind them of the gospel. And how that motivates them to give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become 
rich. Even there, Paul is appealing to the church to give. And he says, all you've got to do is think again to who Jesus is and what he has done for you and how he has given all for you. When we think about giving, it should be placed in the context of the good news of Christ. God is the ultimate giver. And as someone rightly said, we are most like God when we give. We're most like him. We portray that same character of God when we give. Think about the open hands of God. I love that image of the open hands that John Ortberg will write about. As he talks about the open hands, the giving character of the God we have. And this is the way Ortberg speaks. He says, God paints the sky with a sunset and says, I love you. He answers your prayers and says, see, I love you. He strengthens you when you are weak and says, I love you. He lavishly supplies daily provisions and says, hey, remember, I love you. And when you are in desperate need of grace, he opens his forgiving arms and he says, I love you. That is the God who gives. That is the God who lavishes us with blessing daily. And again, when we give, we demonstrate the character of God in our lives. We demonstrate that character. Randy Alcorn said, for us, as we think about this idea of giving, he says, gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll become more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. If you need motivation to give, all you have to do is look in the face of Christ. Gaze upon him for a while, and all of a sudden you'll be transformed with a giving heart and spirit. Listen, when God comes into our lives, when the gospel invades us, we ought to be people who are looking for reasons to give to others. God begins to diminish this selfishness in our hearts and lives and he opens up a selflessness in who we are that is part of the process of sanctification it is the part of the process of discipleship is that as we become more like him we will put away the things that are so selfish and we'll embrace the things that are selfless remember reading about the great Sam Houston, statesman, soldier. I, I think he was over in Texas. Anybody from Texas? Yeah, unfortunately, you admit it, too. Sam Houston was saved and he was baptized. The story states that afterwards he came up and he found the church leadership or, or so, and he said, I want to pay half of the pastor's salary. The folks looked at him and said, what are you talking about? What what are you talking... Why would you want to do this? And he responded by saying, well, my pocketbook was baptized too. You know, there was a sense where he felt like he had to do something because Christ had worked in his life. And let me just tell you, when Christ changes your heart... 
He should make a difference in who you are. Right? When you're saved, you are committing yourself to live differently than everyone else. There should be a transformation. Within us, there should be developed a giving heart. A giving heart in who we are. And listen, this is more than just giving on Sunday morning. When God instills within us a giving spirit, it will be demonstrated in our marriages. It will be demonstrated in our parent-child relationships. It will be demonstrated as we go to work. It will be demonstrated as we come in contact with people during the week. A giving heart and a giving spirit should influence everything that we do. Because we are constantly about the kingdom business. Bill Hobbles encouraged people to look at their hands. To look at your hands. I, w- I would encourage you as you sit here today, as you leave this place later on, that you just look at your hands. And I know this is supposed to be simply a metaphor, but there is a sense of just looking at your hands and asking yourself the question, do I live with my hands closed or do I live with my hands open? I told you before that God has open hands. We have seen that in our lives. If we look more like him, we're going to live with open hands. The world encourages you to close your hands. Grab all you can. Hold on to it. Don't let go of it. But when Christ Jesus does something in your heart and life, it encourages you to open your hands to other people, to the kingdom priorities, to live with open hands. I encourage you this day. Again, Maybe as you get ready to lay down tonight, just to think, God, do I truly have open hands? Well, let me say to you, if you don't, you can. Again, to reflect upon the gospel, that changes your heart and life, and then you just develop it. You develop opening your hands, right? You just, it's kind of an exercise. You can almost do it with me, right? Just open It's an exercise. I know some of you just tuned me out when I said exercise. I'll be honest, I tried to avoid that word as well. But you develop. One of the things I read years ago about spiritual disciplines is there's a difference in trying and training. You know, when we pray, when we read, when we try to be about the spiritual disciplines of our lives, there's a difference in trying or training. Too many of us try. And then we get frustrated and we give up. You know, we decide, hey, we're going to pray for two hours today. We're going to pray two hours each day. But the problem is you haven't been praying five minutes per day. So all of a sudden you've gone from nothing. No prayer life, basically, you're going to pray for two hours. And about ten minutes after you begin praying, you say, Oh, you can't do this. I can't do this. I've got time. I've got other things. Because you're trying in your own effort. 
Some of us say, well, let's, let's just start giving. I'm going to go out. I'm going to give all this. Train yourself. Develop your heart. Instead of trying, allow God to work in you to train you. You can't run a marathon without doing some training beforehand. It's, it's not going to work, right? I remember I was in high school. Look, I was not the athlete, but I thought I was still young and could do anything. And our student leadership decided that they would walk. I think it was called the Walk America, something like that. It was 6.2 miles. So I went through rigorous training. I went and I joined my grandmother each day and we walked a mile around the church's walking track. My grandmother and I walked and I thought, as long, look, I'm young, I can go out, I can do this. I remember going out and we started off and, and I was one of those guys, man, I just started off running with all I had. And I was kind of out in the front and I, I looked around and I passed other people. There was one or two guys with me and, you know, all of a sudden it started kind of catching up with me and I started slowing down just a little bit and looked at the other guy by me and I said, man, I'm proud this is, this is about over with. He said, what are you talking about? I said, man, I feel like I have run like two miles already or three miles. He said, man, you've run a quarter of a mile. <laughs> I said, what? I slowed down. I walked. I ran. I crawled. There was this little lady that was from Sherman, Mississippi, that was pushing a, a little baby in her carrier. And every time she passed me, I got enough strength to run past her again. I remember seeing the Bank of Mississippi there in Tupelo, Mississippi. That was the ending spot. And that little lady was coming by me once again. She never stopped. She just kept going, kept going, kept going. I said, I got to beat her. I'll never live this down. And I had one more burst of energy to get to the end and just kind of fall to the side. I was reminded, you got to train yourself. And I want you to hear today that we have to train ourselves systematically to give the way God wants us to. All of this is undergirded by the gospel. But let me give you this. Our giving itself is united in the gospel. It's undergirded by the gospel. It's united in the gospel. Notice in this passage, Paul is saying for the local church, the church at Corinth, to unite together. To unite together. He says that each person, each one should lay up something aside, storing up as he may prosper. In other words, this is for everybody. Every individual should give to this offering. Every individual should cooperate together. Every individual should give out of his or her increase. Every individual. The gospel was uniting them in purpose. Was uniting them in giving. And if you read anything about the church at Corinth, you'll know they need un needed unity. I mean, they were a group that they were fractured, they were divided. And isn't this awesome the way Paul like encourages unity here at the end by saying give together. When you give together, there is a sense of unity. When each person contributes, there is a sense of unity. 
Now, the people at Corinth, they needed to know how to contribute all of themselves to the kingdom efforts. Specifically, in chapter 12, he had encouraged each one to use their spiritual gifts. In other words, they were to take their spiritual gifts and they were to use it for the edification of the church. That would bring unity. Let me just stop and say this. God has gifted every one of you in this place with some type of spiritual gift. I believe it. I've read 1 Corinthians. I believe every person here is gifted in some way. He calls you and he calls me to use that specific gift to advance the kingdom of God. He does. And when you give your spiritual gift to God, and I give my spiritual gift to God, we have unity as a people, as a church. Paul's already mentioned that here in this letter. But also as we give together, we contribute financially together. Each person, we're able to see the unity of the church established. Those statistic is this. 20% of the church contributes 80% of the finances. That's been the stat for many years. On the flip side of that, I've always said 20% of the church causes 80% of the problems. And the 60% in the middle, I have no idea where they are. Every person should give for the kingdom of God because we're able to unite around the gospel, in the gospel. Remember, this offering was to help the brothers and sisters in Christ there in Jerusalem. It was about the good news. It was about somehow encouraging the reconciliation of Gentile and Jew. It was to promote the ministry and the kingdom. When I started this series, I, I subtitled it, Join the Story. Because I believe as we give financially, we join the story of God. We're, we join the story of missions. We join the story of ministry. We recognize there is something that is bigger and better than ourselves when we give. See, I love that about the church's life. I love knowing that when I come here and worship with you, I am reminded there is something so much bigger and better than just what I see in this world. And I know that there is a gospel that has saved me. I know that there is a God who wants to work in me and wants to work in you. That is what is so incredible to come together and as the people of God to recognize there is something that is so much greater than we could ever imagine. And God has let us be a part of it. And when I give and when you give, we are part of that story. Again, as one individual said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, right? Because we invest in the ministry and the missions. We rally around one cause. The Southern Baptist Convention really just reminds us that we came together as churches around one cause, the cause of missions itself. 
I was reminded of this because in chapter 16, not only does the local church unite, but there are several churches that unite. I don't know if you noticed this, but he said, hey, I've talked to the churches in Galatia. You've heard from them. We know also that he talked to the church at Rome. There are other churches he encouraged to be a part of this. In other words, local churches came together. Not just the one church united, but local churches came together for this ministry and this mission. You know, we, as Temple Baptist Church, we voluntarily participate and cooperate in the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know how many people really recognize that. We do not have a hierarchy that says this is what you must do. This is what you must give. We we don't have anything like that. that. Our denomination, if you were to look at the hierarchy, you would see the local church is at the top and everything else comes below. Other denominations, they probably have it reversed. We as Southern Baptists, we say we voluntarily come together. We voluntarily associate with other churches here locally. We voluntarily join with the, state, with the churches in this state. We voluntarily join with the other Southern Baptist churches in this nation. Why do we do that? Because we're rallying around the call. We're rallying around the gospel together. We're voluntarily giving as God has blessed. The convention itself, as I mentioned a moment ago, was really created for missions. Listen to the statement. The convention was created, quote, to provide a general organization for Baptists in the United States and its territories for the promotion of Christian missions at home and abroad and any other objects such as Christian education, benevolent enterprises, and social services, which it may deem proper and advisable for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. So in other words, we decided that we can do more by joining with other churches to promote the gospel than we can do by ourselves. Now, Temple has a lot of sending power. You just heard us talk about all the different people who would be going and the teams. But you know what? This is not just about temple. It's about joining with other churches to see the progress of the gospel of Christ. We must never forget that. That is the reason we voluntarily give. We voluntarily. You remember all those ladies we give to each year? Georgia, Annie, Lottie. Somebody asked me one time, when will we ever get Lottie paid off? We give to her every year. We do that. We give to those offerings voluntarily. We're not told, this is the quota you got to come up with. This is how much money. We give voluntarily so that we can support the mission of God. Think about it just a moment. Last year, we gave over 26000 to Georgia Barnett. This year, over 59000 to Annie Armstrong. This last Christmas or so, we gave over 141000 to Lottie Moon. The Annie Armstrong, in 2006, we gave $21,000. We upped it to fifty nine. In 2006, we gave $60,000 to Lottie Moon. Now, $141,000. We give to something called the Cooperative Program, where we just send money so that it can support different ministries and different missions 
This year we're sending 260,000 up from 225 in 2014. We do that voluntarily because we believe in the gospel and in missions. I say to you, we do not do that arrogantly in any way. If you think that I've quoted those numbers just in a prideful, arrogant way, you need to step back a moment. Because you've heard me say many, many times, the only reason we can give to this is because God himself has given to us. If we did not have it, we could not give. But God has blessed. But that is the reason we unite. That is the reason we give. It's because of the gospel. The local church is able to unite with a missionary, with Paul himself. How we are blessed to have missionaries, present-day Pauls who go that we can that we can participate with and partner with and unite with. Notice, Paul says, I'm going to come and I hope that the offering is taken. No collections would have to be gathered when I come. When I read that, I think of growing up at Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church in Saltillo, Mississippi. Brother Holland, who's still the pastor there after 40-something years, he would always have a harvest day in November. They would, speak, they would pick a specific purpose for the offering. They would say, hey, we're going to give it to this or we're going to give it to that. Our goal today, $5,000. That's what we want to raise today. So we would come into church. We would sing a little bit. We would have the offering. He would preach a little bit. The deacons would go in the back and count the offering. They would come back. They would give us the the total amount, and if it was less than 5000 we passed the plate again. <laughs> Paul says, when I come, I don't want to have to pass the plate again. I hope that everything has been given as it should. These individuals were partnering with Paul. Paul was going, he says in verse 3, And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. I, I love that part. I wish I could spend more time. I don't. We've got to go to Sunday school in just a moment. But don't you love the transparency of that? The credibility? Paul said, hey, I'm not coming to just take your money. You go ahead and pick people you trust and believe. Practically, I'll need them to help me take this money to Jerusalem. But also, ethically, I hope this is something that would communicate to others that we're here for the right reason. May I say to you that when you give your money to any organization or group, you pray that there's transparency and credibility, that it's handled appropriately. Paul says, you can trust us. There is the support that they're going to give. Paul's going to come later and he's going to stay with them. It's going to be a true partnership. It's going to be a true unity in the gospel between this church and this missionary. And Paul is so grateful that he could join in such a gospel partnership. That he could see a local church giving the way it should. That churches together came to give because of 
the gospel. Let me say to you that when you and I give, when we give to the special offerings, we obviously, we support the missionary enterprise. When we give faithfully each each week, think about this again. You support the missions to South Louisiana, the youth to New Orleans, the children to Dallas, and more and more mission efforts through your giving. There are a lot of different things that we could think of. There are a lot of different personalities we have here in this place. There are a lot of different maybe holdings that we have. But what unites us is the gospel of Christ. And what unites our giving is the gospel of Christ. It undergirds our giving. It unites us in our giving. And I pray that we would be faithful to continue to give and contribute as God has called us.